Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sports-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Round of the break for the Celtics goes around the world. Oh, the circus came into Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe and the man, the myth, the legend, John Corrales, also of <laughs> MassLive.com, also of Locked On Celtics fame. Corrales, what's going on, man? I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing all right. Not much going on. Just trying to stay safe, stay sane. Same, same as everybody, man. I, it's, it's an interesting time, but managing managing uh we should before, before we get into this too far Corrales, you've been doing a really cool thing over on locked on you know you've been doing a, like a sort of a history series can you kind of take us through everything that you've been working yeah. on there and you know it's been fun so you know we started out like i really feel like at the beginning of this hiatus i wasn't sure what the hell to do and then you know we had a, a big kind of conference call with the locked on people and somebody somebody else mentioned like a history thing and i said you know what what franchise has history like the Boston Celtics? There's very few, you know, not even not even the Lakers. Their their history starts in a different city. So Boston is one of few teams that have been the Boston Celtics from the beginning, from before the NBA was even the NBA. So I thought it would be good because there's so many young fans that have only picked up Celtics basketball since maybe Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in that era. So I thought it would be kind of cool to just kind of run through the beginning because so much of Celtics history and so much of what is built into that building and the rafters and the, all those banners and the numbers, so much of that happened a long, long time ago. But it set the foundation for what this franchise is. So Mike Dynan, who writes for RedsArmy.com, is just a fantastic like Celtics historian, and he that dude has forgotten started, a lot more about the Celtics than I've ever known. Like that dude has right encyclopedic I mean, knowledge. It's it's insane. So I you know I have this platform and you know this guy that that knows so much, and I've done a lot of research on it anyway for various projects. So I thought you know let's let's start from the beginning, and each week we can do a decade. So we started. At the beginning, with the BAA, Boston Celtics, before they became the, the Boston Celtics, and how before Red got there, they were just losers. They sucked. They were terrible. They didn't even make the playoffs. And then Red got there, and you, know, you start to get the, the little tricks that a new league allowed them to play, uh, using the ice capades to maneuver and get Bill Russell, and using territorial draft picks that, you know, nowadays it's insane to think of, but, like, 
the Celtics, if they wanted to, let's say one of your favorite prospects, Tom, was uh, at Boston College. Yeah. And, like, he was a lottery pick, and the Celtics are picking where they are. In, in those times, they'd say, well, the Celtics just exercise their territorial pick, and they just take the guy that plays in Boston or in the Boston area because it's a new league and college was so popular that they wanted to bring those college fans over to the NBA. A quick aside to that, it is fascinating to think about how good a D.C. team and how good an L.A. team would be with territorial Oh, my drafts. God. Oh, my God. You know, the Lakers could have just drafted Kareem. I mean, they could have <laughs> drafted Walton. Just take the UCLA Bruins and just make them Lakers, and things would be very, very different if that they was the just, case. Right right now, they could just take Jalen Green. Like, he's from California. Yeah. Like, just mine. There you go. He's mine now. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, right. Like, today's draft would be so different. So, we, we did that, and then Mike, Mike actually started watching NBA games, going to NBA games in the 60s. And so he had firsthand knowledge. So we we're, we're now at the eighties and the cool part about the eighties is the guests, like you talked about. So I had Danny Ainge uh, on the show and we talked for an hour. The, the best part about that is how willing these people are to just talk. And then I had Tommy, Tommy Heinsohn on to talk about the, the eighties and what he saw firsthand. And then the seventies where he became a hall of fame coach and, you know, very insightful and a little bit brash, just like Tommy, you know, you'd Tommy expect. Tommy Heinsohn? <laughs> yeah. You know, declaring that his 60s Celtics would run the 80s Celtics off the floor. It's a wild which, take. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty hilarious. It's pretty funny. But, like, so he said it, and I wasn't prepared for it. So I, I, I had no, like, research in front of me to be like, well, actually, I, I did kind of throw in, like, Tom, you had eight teams in the NBA back then. Like, of course you had John Havlicek coming off the bench. You had eight teams. Everybody had Hall of Famers off the bench. And you can argue that some of those guys weren't really Hall of Famers, that they kind of, like, were along for the ride. And, you know, there there are certainly a few numbers that are retired that maybe you would say shouldn't. Like, one of one of the big things that I took away from it was – how through the 60s when the Celtics were winning all, all their championships, why Red was retiring numbers. And reti- like a person retired, they retired, he retired the number. He wanted to build a culture that, you know, rewards the effort, that rewards these players for being loyal and being part of the team and doing those little things that you need to do to win these games uh, and to win these championships. So he would retire numbers of role players like Casey Jones, who I say is, you know, Marcus smart before Marcus smart and has had a, you know, a a really great career throughout his time in the NBA. I don't know if his number should be retired, you know, but by doing so players saw that if you contributed to something great, you would be considered great. And I really do believe that that Celtic pride that was established back then is something that carried through. And when we all, through all three of us, are in talking to new guys, they talk about, like, you walk into this building and you see those banners, you see those numbers, you feel something. That's what Red built. Mm. And that was, like, my, my biggest takeaway from learning about the 60s. 
beyond the championships because that that stretch I can see how that stretch happened without player movement, without all that stuff, and having like the dominant player of the time and Bill Russell and, and some great scores. But the culture that Red built is what this team is about: making people feel part of something great and creating a, a franchise that was perceived as such was was his biggest contribution. Uh, everybody who's listening should go give that a listen. Uh, there's some really good stuff. Any, anytime you can hear Tommy just kind of going off, He's so you, you got to do it. So great. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's cover some new stuff here. One thing that happened this week, or was probably going to start happening this week, is that uh, some teams are going to be reopening their practice facilities. Kralis, Nicole, what, what do you guys make of this? Hmm. Like it sounds like a positive development, like on its face. I don't know that I agree, but what what, what do you guys think? <laughs> I was surprised, to be honest, especially because Adam Silver had said don't expect any news until May 1st, but I guess they were sort of targeting May 1st as a reopen date. I think it doesn't really affect the Celtics, though, because Boston's or Massachusetts' stay-at-home order right now is through May 4th, and Charlie Baker said that it's probably going to go beyond that, so it's not like the Celtics will be able to go. And even if they are able to go, it's mainly just that the gym is open and they can do individual workouts. It's not like they can do group workouts. It's not like the team can schedule like a practice or like a session for everybody to be there. I think part of it is just the NBA is probably hearing about all these players, like all-star players that don't have hoops and are like, okay, we need to sort of help remedy this because obviously it's an issue. I think they are actually trying to protect the players, maybe protect them from themselves. Because one of the things in Woj's story that stood out to me was the fact that the players were asking and considering going to like Atlanta to start working out because Georgia is, I mean, stupidly, but reopening. So the NBA, I feel like, may have said, well, we don't want our players going kind of rogue and being in some, you know, equinox in in Atlanta. Let's just, if your city, if your state is opening, then fine. We'll let you use the practice facility. Just go there. Don't go to someplace else go there where we can control it and we can make sure that you're you're safe because the absolute worst case scenario is that these players say this state is opening they all flock there because it's a big mistake they get infected and all of a sudden players test positive and that ruins any hope of the league coming back and they're so desperately trying to recoup all of this money they're trying to figure out how to put any sort of basketball back on the floor if one guy tests positive, then you have no choice but to shut the entire league down and everybody loses all of their money. So this, I think, is their way of kind of trying to maintain some control over the process. Because part of it, too, is it, like you, you need these guys. These guys have to be working out because if they don't and, and you try to bring the season back, like one of the real concerns needs to be like that you're going to get garbage basketball. The product still needs to be good. The players still need to be good. Like, you can't really afford to try to bring the NBA back and try to do the playoffs, but then everybody's out of shape. People are getting injured. People are just, like, you know, bricking shots that they would normally be making. Like, nobody's in playoff form. And you're going to get some of that anyway. But, like, to Corrales' point, you can't have guys getting sick because then the season's over. So they're, they're trying to walk this incredibly fine line, and I, I don't envy them. I just don't yeah, think that, that, it's happening. 
I, I think I think it's possible. I really do think it's possible. It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be the, the key things that I'm I'm latching onto is the repeated silver comments of we don't know what it's going to look like, but anything is going to be considered. I really feel like because there's so much money at stake that they will find a way to get something out there. And even if it's, hey, this is the plan we had for the midseason tournament, we're just going to play that, then here it is. And there won't be an NBA champion this year, but there will be a tournament champion, and we're going to put, I don't know, 16 playoff teams, 10 teams, whatever it is, we're going to do that. And I think they can find a way to get a central location. They could play basketball on a sound stage. They don't even have to be in an arena. All they need is really 94 feet plus, you know, whatever extra on the sides for, you know, benches and stuff and cameras. But they really can say, hey, we're going we're gonna to put 10 cameras around the court and we're going to show you and we're going to have a camera mounted because we have all of this room. We're going to put it in a soundstage. We're not even going to go to an arena. We're going to give you this unprecedented look at NBA basketball. And they're going to give us this 360-degree view of something. And because we're all starved, because it'll be innovative, I think that they could do something that gets monster, monster ratings that will recoup some of their money and minimize their losses. And I think they're just so driven to minimize their losses that they'll find some way. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that Sam Amick's report in the Athletic was it was really telling on this topic where he he said that players have bought in, and I just think that's like that's so important to get like the players in on this because you know I, I think it was in his report where somebody pointed out like look we're not Major League Baseball we're not trying to figure out a way to play an entire season and for an entire season keep guys away from you know families from all that stuff uh, you know from right <laughs> from potential family not just groupies okay, you know what Tom. I'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> their but, second family their third family yeah right you know so you don't have to worry about all that because like players are bought in and they know that like a, a tournament or playoffs or whatever is going to be a month or two I just think that's that's so important because if you've got the players then then you're kind of set up yeah I mean these guys want closure they've spent most of their season we only had 18 games left these guys it's all still fresh in their head they're like hey man a lot of these players, this is their chance. Like Kemba Walker finally is on a team that is fighting for the second seed. He's always sneaking in and like barely getting into the playoffs. Now he's like, man, I have a chance to be the second seed. And now he doesn't even get a playoffs. Like yeah. Kemba's like, Give me basketball. I want to play playoff basketball. Well, Kemba's like, a lot of these me, guys want it. Kemba's like, give me basketball on just like a Tuesday. Like, just like any yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, please give me sure. basketball. And, and I think that's a good point, too, because everybody talks about like how LeBron wants to, you know, finish off his legacy. And like, yes, certainly like LeBron wants to finish the season. Like, you know, who knows how many good years he has left. But it's not just LeBron. It's like it goes the entire way down the gamut. Yeah. Like Gordon Hayward is finally having a good season after he gruesomely broke his ankle. That guy wants yeah. to get in the playoffs and go deep. Like that was part of the reason that he came to Boston. So yeah, I mean, it, it really is kind of the whole way across. Everybody just really wants this. I mean, I feel like the average person is sort of lamenting the loss of a year. It's sort of just like a wasted year. An athlete's career is just so much yeah. like their yes. timeline is so finite that a year gone is just so crucial to them that I can't even imagine what's going through their mind. And I'm happy to hear that right. they're buying in, but I imagine it's just a lot is 
going on for some of them. 37, 38 years old is going to be coming no matter yeah. what. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's not going to stop. from experience. <laughs> yes. Corrales is the only person on this podcast who can for sure say that 37 and 38 comes eventually. It happens. It happens. 47's coming soon, too. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a big fan of that because Nicole found a way to needle you about your age in the middle of a podcast. Always. Discussion. Always. That, that, Every that conversation was, we have. That one was out of nowhere, so I, I respect Nicole's commitment to the bit. We're going to take a break in a minute. One, one other thing I wanted to touch on, Kraus, with you before we do is Nicole and I were talking before you hopped on. I assume you've, you've been watching The Last Dance? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this talking... is going to be Tom needling you about your age. No, 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 no this is oh, not. This is not. Shit. <laughs> um, so on this spot right now, we have Nicole, who barely watched, who, who like knows very little about Jordan at all. Myself, who I was, I was pretty young when Jordan was like at his peak. Like I remember it. Like I watched some of it. And we have you, like you really experienced Jordan's peak. Like you, yeah, saw it. Um, I watched. I watched it all. So. <laughs> So, but no, seriously, I, I think it's interesting to kind of go through, like, like maybe starting with Nicole, like, what do you remember about Jordan? What's, or like, what is even on sort of your radar about Michael Jordan? Yeah, so I was born in 95. So that was, <laughs> he, like, um, during... <laughs> Corrales just took off his headphones and left. <laughs> so that was during the peak of his, um, career so I missed all of the all of the Bulls championships in terms like I never watched any of them my dad though was a big basketball fan and he had a poster of Jordan dunking from the foul line um, in our basement so I remember that I knew who Michael Jordan was I knew he was really good like I never Many people I, are saying it <laughs> I had never seen any of his games or like highlights or anything like that wasn't me like mine was Kobe and Shaq those are my like first basketball memories but Michael Jordan really that's why the last dance has been so interesting because it's provided so much context and information and like I just had had no exposure to him really yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So, so for me, I actually grew up like not liking Michael Jordan. My dad, my dad was a big Celtics fan growing up, so he was he did not like Jordan at all. I grew up not liking Jordan, but the thing I remember about watching him was just this like feeling of inevitability. When you watch, like I, I just remember like as a little kid watching basketball, it was just like, you know, maybe Sean Kemp is gonna do it this year. It's like, no, he's not. Sean Kemp isn't gonna take down Michael Jordan. Like, what are you talking about? Like. Like, just in the back of your head, you always had this feeling like there was just no way to beat him. Like, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't do it. And that's, like, obviously, as, as, as I grew up and, you know, as I, I watched more basketball, I, I went back and, and watched more Jordan. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, like, this guy was amazing. Like, I spent my whole childhood <laughs> disliking this guy. What a waste. But, <laughs> like, but, it, but it really was fascinating at the time to, to go back and think, like, man, like, Jordan, you just had this feeling of inevitability. You thought it was, it was over before it started because he was just so dominant. So for me, 1991 is when I graduated high school. Like I just graduated high school and then he goes off and wins, wins a championship. And at that point, the Celtics were on their, their kind of like last legs. We were just getting like Reggie Lewis and like, I was, I was more excited. I was excited about Reggie because Reggie was going to be like the guy, he was the one guy who could kind of defend Jordan. Reggie had like a famous game where he, he blocked Jordan like three separate times and I was I was getting excited for like the battles that they were gonna have, and obviously the tragedy struck. But now I get into college, and so I'm playing college basketball, 
And because I'm playing college basketball, I'm not watching as much NBA. And you got to remember, this is 19, like 1991. There's cable, but there's no league pass. There's no internet. I don't have a computer in my room. I don't have a phone to look at. When I was in high school, the biggest thing that we had were beepers. So in college, my experience with Jordan was the Saturday NBA on NBC. So I got the big Chicago Knicks games. I didn't get to experience Jordan on a day-to-day basis. So my day-to-day basis was always Celtics. And when Chicago came to town and when Chicago was on national TV, and again, that wasn't ESPN, that wasn't TNT, it was, it was still like national television weekend broadcast. So it's kind of funny that a lot of the details in The Last Dance are the things that I miss. Like I remember the big mm. things. I remember Jordan's shots. I remember Jordan leaving to go play baseball. I remember, you know, Scottie Pippen refusing to go in the game. People were like, oh, this wouldn't happen if Jordan were here and all this craziness. But now that we have this in-depth kind of look back, it's almost like filling in a lot of blanks. Like I've got a puzzle in front of me that's got like the edge and a bunch of puzzle pieces in the middle. And this documentary is like putting those all together for me. So it's almost like it's not a straight line. It's almost like a curve where Nicole and I are on opposite sides of the curve, but we've each missed kind of like equally a lot. But it's, it's, um, it, it's super interesting. Like I didn't know a lot of the contractual stuff. Like yeah. that, the stuff that I would know now I didn't know back right, then. Right. I didn't know. We would have, we would have known that Pippen and was I think was that's a function time. of the media era and just like a different time as opposed to like you being plugged in or stuff. Just the type of information that gets out now, it's like in such real time. Whereas back then you could actually like keep secrets, I think. I think so. No, you, you, you totally could. Um, and with no internet, with no Twitter, right. I, I didn't know. Like, so I'm college age kid. I'm playing basketball. I'm, I'm doing classwork. I'm still a Boston sports fan. So on days where the Celtics just kind of suck, I would just turn it off. Like, like oh, this game sucks. Forget it. You know what? I'd be watching college basketball back then. Back then when you're a kid and you don't have all of these, you know, obligations in a career, you're just kind of like, I'll watch some college. I'll watch some, you know, whatever basketball's on. Oh, screw that. Baseball's on. I'll go watch a baseball game. My, my dorm in my first few years. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college, uh, my dorm was on Charlesgate East and Beacon Street, which is just outside Kenmore Square. And back then, the Red Sox would, after the seventh inning, open all of the entrances so anybody could walk into the ballpark. And so I would do whatever, come home and watch some of the Red Sox game, and then, like, in the seventh inning, leave, <laughs> go walk to Fenway Park, which is, like, 15 minutes away, 15-minute walk, and then they'd open up the, the, the grandstands out in the, the bleachers, and you'd go sit in the bleachers for two innings. And every once in a while, you'd catch an extra innings game, and you'd get like five innings of baseball. It's almost like you're watching a whole game. So it was super cool. But I, I bring that up to say that it was a, a distraction. Like I was watching everything because I was a Boston sports fan and just a, a college kid just living his life. So I, I didn't have the in-depth. Like I had no cl- I didn't even know who Jerry Krause was back then so so all of this stuff that they're they're telling is one side as it might be it's really interesting to kind of hear the inner workings of how that all went down 
Definitely. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from Bet Online, and we'll be right back with the homie, John Corrales. <laughs> with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Okay, so the other day, Tom texted me what I thought was a very interesting question, which was, what if people just don't care about sports when all of this is sort of done? Let me just kind of give some context here. So one of the things that I was thinking about was, okay, like, game out a scenario where the NBA can't come back this year, which is still kind of where I'm at. I still don't think the NBA is going to come back this year. So say it doesn't come back this year. Let's say, hypothetically, obviously we're all, you know, knocking on wood that this is not the case, but, like, let's hypothetically say that they struggle to come up with a vaccine. At that point, there are not going to be any fans probably in the arena for a while. So all we're getting is the TV thing. And, like, I just kind of don't think that's how sports are meant to be consumed. You know, at, at their core, like, a big part of sports is getting a bunch of people into a building and everybody cheering for their team. Like, that's a huge part of sports. So there's going to be an entire generation of, like, of kids right now who maybe for the next year – maybe for longer if we don't get a vaccine, like, will not have the same sports experience. So my point isn't that people aren't going to care about sports. My point is that right now kids are, are having to find other things to do that are not sports. And I don't know that they're going to give those things up just because sports come back. Like, say they get super into drawing. Say they get super into, like, name a thing that isn't sports. I don't know that they're going to give up the, the passions that they pick up during a non-sports world just because sports come back. I think this is going to change a lot of things in a lot of different ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this is this is such a flashpoint in human history. You know, this is going to change a lot, for sure, for sure. There are going to be people who may have been into sports that will discover something new about themselves. Um, younger people will discover something new. They're, they're going to need to find ways to fill the time somehow. But at the same time, sports have been around since as long as humans have been around. And there's always been competition. So that's not going to change. And the reason why people watch sports, that's not going to change. So uh, uh, compared to like, I, I like watching like, like science shows and stuff like that. And you see like when you could cut a tree and, you know, they say you count the rings and everything, but like they can tell like when the tree has been struck by lightning, when there was some sort of trauma to the tree. And if in the course of human history, you look at all of the rings of human history, this is going to be a place where lightning strikes the tree, but the tree's still going to grow. It's still going to keep going. And for that point, it's going to be much different and it's going to change a lot of people's lives. But eventually, we as society will get back to, I think, enjoying sports for what it is. And just as there might be a group of kids that discover something else, there's that next generation that's going to be coming in. And when sports do come back, eventually they're going to come back. 
that group is going to be just inundated with it. So some of the people in that group that might have been like, oh, let's see what else is out there, those people are going to get all sucked into sports because all anybody's going to be talking about is going to be like, hey, the NBA is back, the NFL is back, and MLB is like, all of that stuff. So we're going to be flooded with all of these images. So we might lose a few sports fans to something else, but at the other side we're going to pull in people from something else into sports, I think. I, I think I think as as people who enjoy sports and who think that like sports play a you know like a major role in society, we kind of need like when guys come back, we need it to be a good product because there are going to be so many eyeballs on whichever sport comes back first. Like let's say basketball comes back first, everybody's going to be watching basketball, and this is right. this is another kind of another kind of area where I wonder if sports might struggle a little bit is if basketball comes back first and it's bad. Like, let's just say, like, nobody can make a shot. You know, guys are getting winded because they, you know, ate a couple too many Cheetos while they were, like, you know, on <laughs> um, while they were on quarantine. Like, if, if the basketball is bad, I think there are going to be some people who are just kind of like, like I, but I, I picked up all these other things. And I also think about kids, not to, not to be the, you know, the, like the 46-year-old, if you can imagine being 46 years old, <laughs> not to be that guy. But uh, a lot of kids are playing, for example, Fortnite right now. More kids are playing Fortnite than previously. I think that there's going to be a lot of kids who are just into Fortnite now as opposed to because like, mm-hmm. you know, they're not playing sports. They can't play sports. You can't even make the argument, oh, they should be going out and playing with their friends. No, they shouldn't. Right. They should be no. inside by themselves. Like the kids who are playing Fortnite right now are doing the right thing. So I think that is going to play a bit of a role as well. Like the combination of like the, the 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 sport itself might not be that good when it comes back initially when the most eyeballs are going to be on it and all the other distractions that people are creating for themselves i guess i think you're right that it's you know it's more of a matter of of a ring in the tree it's not it's not a permanent thing it's just sort of a part of the history yeah i mean i guess i kind of keep coming back to this is going to play itself out in a lot of ways that we don't necessarily see coming that's what I was going to say, Thomas. I think that this conversation would probably be different in a few months when we're still going through this. Like right now, it's still relatively new. It's only been a month. It's sort of hard to wrap your head around all the changes that are going to happen. But like, no, like this is going to be a new normal for a long time. There are going to be ramifications that last like beyond what we could ever even imagine. So I think like what you're describing will crystallize itself as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you have something like this, that's just so all encompassing, it's going to have an impact on the world. I hope it has a lasting impact on the world. I hope the people in New Delhi who can now see blue sky and the mountains on the horizon, look at each other and say, huh, maybe we shouldn't be polluting as much. It, it is an opportunity for all of us to take a look at what we have previously thought of as important and and kind of reevaluate and say, how important is this really? Uh, now, sports are super important to us because that's our livelihood. NBA basketball pays our bills. But at the same time, you know, the, it, the NBA is going to be permanently affected by this somehow. And, Nicole, to your point, we don't know what the, the permanent thing is going to be, whether that – Thing that I talked about earlier, basketball on a soundstage and coming up with some innovative way to present the sport, all of a sudden changes the the way we consume basketball moving forward. Or maybe it's it's how we protect ourselves. Maybe it's how fans interact at games. I, I, I really don't know. 
something's going to change permanently. But whatever changes permanently, we, I think, would be better to just say, okay, this is whatever the new normal is, just kind of roll with it and understand that everything is kind of a reaction to something. So the reaction to this pandemic, we don't know yet, but something's going to happen and and that's going to be a reaction. And then something's going to react to that and so on and so forth. I think the return of sports will bring us back to some kind of normalcy with a little twist that maybe we can't predict. And whatever that is, that is. Roll with it and, and just kind of see how it goes. You know, when I when I think about my son playing sports, like I want him to play sports because of like what sports did for me. Like it gave me like a camaraderie with like other other people that yes. I wouldn't have had otherwise. It gave me all of these all of these things that are really important in my life. You know, it, it helped me like learn how to be physically fit, which has improved my life. It has helped me form lasting relationships with people that I otherwise wouldn't have met. Like I think these things are really important. Like, do you think others will agree? Uh, I think some people will kind of forget it and be like, oh, you know what? It's it's not important. Um, and, you know, if, that, if that's what they decide, that's what they decide. I agree with you. Almost anything good in my life has come from basketball. Um, and that goes from not just the friendships, but, like, the lessons and teaching me how to be part of a team, teaching me how to lead a team, when to step back, when to pass, when to shoot, like, when to, when to be the one that takes – Always shoot. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I know, right. <laughs> um, but, like – you know, all of those life lessons, the the meritocracy of like, hey, if you're good, you're good. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, who you date or, you know, who you're attracted to, like all of that stuff. You realize what truly matters and what doesn't. And, and it helped me become a I, I feel like a better functioning person in a society that really understands what's important in life. And all of that came from or most of that came from sports. And, and learning those lessons. So the teamwork, the camaraderie, the understanding of, you know, our differences don't matter. In fact, we should celebrate them because we can't have five Tom Westerholms on the, on the court because everybody would be trying to shoot. You need different people. You need somebody to pass the ball to Tom. You need somebody right. to set Tom the pick. You need somebody, <laughs> to, somebody to, to rebound the ball. The ball. And pass it back out to, to Tom. You will never need to rebound because I'm shooting. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the whole point is, like, if, you're, if we're setting Tom up to shoot the ball, it doesn't matter if Nicole can set the good pick or if I can set the good pick or whomever. Whoever can go out there and do the job, great. You can do the job. You take that lesson throughout life, and I think that that's an important thing that sports can teach us. So. Um, I think that lesson will always be there, and I think like youth sports will come back, and that'll be a lesson that's always taught. So I do think there will be a hurdle, though, in that a lot of places and universities will have to cancel various sports programs because of yes. finances and yeah. stuff. Like some colleges have already announced cutting like soccer teams. I think youth sports will struggle in that because a lot of that is booster money and like the town and parents funding things. So I do wonder the ripple effects there and how that's going to affect things in terms of it's going to become even more competitive. It's not really going to be open to everybody. It's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what registration numbers and things like that look like if and when sports do come back. But I think there is an element of like the finances there. Yeah. I think this is where teams step up 
and 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 try to help as much as they can. I think that the Celtics and Bruins and Patriots and Red Sox can get together and you know create some sort of like fund. Like all of these billionaires who own the teams can create a little bit of money that go to local sports, making sure that kids, you know, we're we're at unprecedented unemployment and and people. You're right, Nicole, aren't going to have the money to do a lot of these things. And this is where the the haves that are still that still exist in the world should kind of get together, and it, I think it's in their best interest for the the major pro sports teams to put their names on something that get kids back on fields and courts and get them interested in sports that you know you go to a Celtics court or you have a team run uh, a league run by the Celtics or the Red Sox or something that that puts them in front of mind and allows families that are struggling to get back out there and still participate in this stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I can see that. I, I, I do kind of wonder if, where will they see sort of the return on investment? Well, the it return be- on investment is getting these kids to be fans of your team. Yeah, for sure. And I'm curious, I, I would be curious if that pitch would work. Because that could happen. Like, that could easily happen if, you know, a kid's just seeing the logo all the time and they're just like, oh, yeah, like the Celtics, like that's the local team. I, I'm a fan of that team. I hate that we have to talk about return on investment for just doing the right thing. For children playing, just like you know, kids playing games. The, yeah. the return on investment should be these kids get to play sports. And, exactly. you know, but whatever. So if the NBA doesn't come back, John, what's the playoff storyline you will miss most? For the Celtics or in general or both? Uh, both. Open-ended question. Open-ended. So for the Celtics, I think the – the storyline that I was looking forward to the most was how this team kind of progressed with Tatum as the number one guy and how would they galvanize, would they galvanize around him or would they, would they continue to try to be like that diplomatic kind of like democratic type of team that moved the ball more? Cause it seemed like they were really trying to move towards him as the central player. Uh, or maybe it's just because he was so, damn hot for so damn long hey, man, that they like, just beat him. The central player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but, I, you know, and I was very curious to see Kemba's, Kemba's extended run through a playoffs, like, for the first time and seeing how he kind of dealt with that because I feel like, like he hates to lose more than I think most people. But if the Celtics struggled in the first round, say they drew Philly, and they were down 0-1 or even 0-2, what would that mean for Kemba? Would Kemba have a strong reaction to that? What would he be like in the media? Or I think that would be uh, an interesting thing. The two storylines, I think, nationally would be, can, can the Houston Rockets' <laughs> style of play translate to the playoffs in a series? And can Giannis get to the finals and, and win a title what what would this playoff run mean for Giannis and staying in Milwaukee? Because if he stays in Milwaukee, that obviously impacts so much of what the rest of the league is trying to do. And obviously, if he stays in Milwaukee, that's a, a hurdle that stays in front of the Boston Celtics for a long time. So what the Celtics do with Tatum's prime and however that plays out over the next four or five years, you know, that would be directly impacted. Would they have a bringing it back to Jordan, would they have like a kind of Knicks going up against Jordan all the time and having teams that are really good 
but can't get past Jordan and get to the finals, like would they would they be running up against Giannis over and over and over again? And Giannis is just so good that the Celtics could never break through. So that that would be a, an interesting storyline that started with this playoffs. I think one that we that we're quietly really going to miss is like, look, the Celtics. Every time the Celtics faced a top team this year, they were really good against them. Like they yeah. were really good against the Clippers, even when they lost that game in LA. They were really good against the Lakers, even when they lost that game in LA. Like when they played the best teams, they played them really, really well. And like it would have been fun to see that every night for however long they were alive in the postseason. Like it would have been amazing to. Uh, see them test themselves like that would have been and see I, them I fully healthy really fun yeah, yeah exactly exactly because because they were missing Kemba in that game against the Lakers yeah all of these huge games they were always missing somebody could they put it all together and get everybody on the floor like Kemba's knee what was going on with Kemba's knee like that was a big I still would thing. like some answers with what was going on with Kemba's uh-huh. knee but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah no, yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been a lot of fun to see. I think the I think the one other storyline nationally, we don't know how many years LeBron has left, and he's on a yeah. real contender right now. Like, sure, I mean the, the LeBron one is is definitely a big one. Like to Nicole's point earlier, who knows what he's like next year? We think he's invincible, but like he he still has dropped off some, and age just keeps on moving forward. So he he's gonna he's gonna feel it it's gonna it's gonna claim him too he's not gonna play forever we think the man is (laughs) the man is kind of a machine it's pretty amazing um all right so we will leave it there uh thank you corrales for coming on you can follow him at reds army john thanks so much for coming on and we will talk to you guys on thursday